Hello and welcome to episode number 159 of the Agro Innovations Podcast. This episode of the podcast has been released onto agroinnovation.com slash podcast on Monday, December 8th, 2014. Thank you so much for joining me and listening in today. This episode of the podcast features the second part of my interview with Dr. Ted Steinberg, who is the author of the book, Gotham Unbound, The Ecological History of Greater New York. If you did not listen to the first part of the interview, I strongly recommend that you do so. In that interview, uh, Dr. Ted Steinberg takes us through the ecological history of New York and tells us uh, the bits and pieces that are relevant, I think, to this story, and it's definitely worth a listen. So probably you want to, if you haven't already listened to that, you probably want to go back and listen to that before you embark on listening to this interview. This interview, uh, Dr. Steinberg and I talk about more the future of New York than the past. Of course, much of his analysis of the future prospects for New York City are based on the historical and ecological context of Greater New York. So in order to better understand that, you really should go back and listen to that first part of this interview. The Agro Innovations Podcast is a community-supported effort. And if you like this podcast and appreciate the work that I do, you can donate to the podcast by clicking on the PayPal Donate button on the right-hand side of the website, agroinnovations.com. Please enjoy my interview with Dr. Ted Steinberg. Can you tell us about the title of this book? How did you choose the title, Gotham Unbound? Well, the title is uh, rooted in the uh, idea of uh, what I call a growth imperative. I mean, New York uh, has uh, been growing at the expense of the sea, furiously so, uh, for essentially uh, the last 200 years, uh, and it's continuing to uh, grow into the water itself the, with projects like the uh, Hudson Yards project on the west side of Manhattan, 26-acre uh, project, much of which is built in the 100-year floodplain. Uh, it was a report in yesterday's New York Times about a, a plan to build an island offshore on the west side of, uh, of Manhattan. There are plans to, uh, uh, <clears throat> this one proceeded, uh, came before uh, Hurricane uh, Sandy to um, build a land bridge from lower Manhattan to, uh, to Governor's Island. Um, this is what I mean by Gotham Unbound, the idea uh, of, uh, of New York as a limitless proposition that New York would continue to and ought to continue to grow and grow. Uh, at the expense of the sea, and also in terms of population and land values. This is an idea that goes back, well, you could argue that it goes back uh, to the uh, creation of those uh, water lots, the marketing underwater land back in the, in the 17th century, but the, the, the idea itself that, uh, as put forward by real estate uh, people in real estate and by uh, New York's boosters, that New York should grow limitlessly and forever, uh, that's, that's very much a, a 19th century phenomenon, and that's where the idea for the title of the book comes from, that uh, rooted in this idea of uh, uh, what I call a growth imperative. Well, uh, I'm sure you're somewhat skeptical of this idea on the one hand, um, but on the other hand, you know, we discuss these limits to growth, and yet the city continues to grow. Yeah, I am uh, skeptical that uh, in a world of rising seas that it's a good idea to continue to thumb 
father knows at the at the sea. Uh, the uh, mid-range projection, 25th to 75th percentile, is that uh, sea level around New York will rise uh, somewhere between 11 and 24 inches. Now, put that 11 to 24-inch figure in perspective for you. Between the 1850s and the present, uh, sea level around New York rose about a foot and a half. So now we're talking about uh, uh, sea level rise of more than, potentially more than a foot and a half in a mere, say, 35 years or so. By, mid, by mid-century, we could see as much as 11 to uh, 24 inches of rise. We'll see somewhere uh, over seven inches for sure in rise in sea level. And it's even possible, although this is unlikely, that there could be as much as 31 inches of rise in sea level uh, by the middle of this century. Uh, of course, 31 inches of rise in sea level would be absolutely devastating to New York, uh, aggravating uh, the prospects for floods uh, and causing uh, a tremendous amount of dislocation in low-lying areas. So the idea that we, New York should continue to build out as it had done previously, I think, is one that needs to be uh, reconsidered uh, and if it were me, I would recommend, if I were making uh, policy, I- I'd recommend some sort of moratorium on any further building in the city's hurricane evacuation zone number one, which is the riskiest evacuation zone. So yes, I'm skeptical of the idea that the growth imperative uh, is a, is a, a sound uh, basis uh, for planning going forward uh, in the 21st century. Well, that's a, you, I think you understate that a little bit in terms of it being a sound uh, policy, but I think people would also look at you like you're crazy by suggesting that uh, this growth cease. I think, yeah, I think, I, I think people would look at me uh, like, like I'm, I'm crazy, but I think in part... I mean, that's a, uh, uh, it, it's worth thinking about why it sounds so crazy to say something like that. I think you've put your finger on something. And I, I think the reason that I sound crazy by uh, arguing that a moratorium uh, uh, might make sense, or uh, as of, you know, has, was, was after Hurricane Sandy, some people talked very briefly, maybe really just one person that I can think of mentioned uh, in public, the idea of retreat, managed retreat, the idea that New York should actually retreat, given the prospects for uh, increasing um, uh, flooding in the city uh, and uh, and this kind of thing. I mean, also, was, was this idea of retreat, just like my idea of a moratorium, was marginalized and it seems as if we're, we're just a bunch of... Um, of, of maniacs wanting to destroy New York, but the, the, I think the root uh, of, of all this, the, the, the reason, in other words, why this sounds so crazy is that people are uh, un, just simply ignorant of, of New York's uh, uh, environmental history, don't know uh, much about how New York became the place uh, that it did, don't understand enough about um, uh, not just about the ecology of the place, but also about the history of, of coastal flooding in New York and the history of hurricanes uh, in the New York area, some of which have been quite severe and intense, and they, of course, can happen again. So um, the, this idea that a moratorium or retreat is, is, is crazy is rooted in 
a kind of uh, ahistorical and anti or at least misinformed uh, uh, understanding of New York's uh, ecological uh, New York's ecological history. In addition to that, by the, I should just add that um, uh, the Bloomberg administration during its time, and I don't see any real change in the, the current uh, de Blasio administration with respect to this, uh, made it very clear that uh, there would be no, after Hurricane Sandy, that there would be no retreat. There, the actual um, report, which is a very judicious report in some ways, that uh, the Bloomberg administration put together after uh, the hurricane, it's certainly uh, filled with uh, uh, data. It's over 440 pages long. Uh, there's a direct statement in there that says the city cannot and will not retreat. This kind of in-your-face uh, 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 approach uh, to relations like the seas is very problematic. Uh, but by making that statement, it marginalizes uh, other views, such as the idea of retreat or a moratorium, and makes it sound like uh, people that advocate for this kind of thing are a bunch of sissies. Uh, I think that that's just nonsense. I, I think it's a legitimate position to take, given uh, the, the history of New York, the building that's gone on low-lying land, and given the reality of, of, of climate change and rising sea level. I don't think um, that 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 there's anything insane in the least about uh, about this position. Well, the chest-thumping and bravado are probably somewhat of a reflection of the moneyed interests that uh, people like de Blasio and uh, Bloomberg represent. But I wonder, there is another moneyed interest in this game that uh, maybe would be more sympathetic to this retreat idea, and that would be the insurance industry. Why are they not on the forefront of some of these moneyed interests saying, hey, maybe this isn't such a bad idea? Well, they're retreating. I mean, I think the, the insurance industry, uh, you're correct, is concerned about, about losses. I mean, uh, just to, I, I believe uh, Hurricane Center was something like, a, for New York City at least, was a $19 billion loss which is massive. I mean, it's about the size of the endowment of uh, Yale University or something like that. It's a massive, massive loss. So the insurance industry is, is, is retreating uh, in terms of um, uh, the amount of uh, uh, losses uh, that, it's, that it's, cover, you know, it's covering now. In other words, it's, 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 it's limiting its, its, its exposure. So that is going on. Uh, in New York, but you were also correct that there are uh, enormous vested interests in the expansion of of New York, uh, and and uh, I mean, this is a place where land is indeed very scarce. Uh, and you know, there's you know, some of the problems that uh, New York faces are just simply not solvable um, uh, without uh, the creation of more space uh, to house people. I mean, this is. Uh, this, this idea of growth that uh, I mentioned, uh, I mean, the projection is now that by 2040, uh, New York City is going to add 800,000 more people. Well, 800,000 people, that's the size of a city, the size of, uh, of a city like Amsterdam in the Netherlands, about 800,000 people. Now, I mean, so you're talking in the next whatever it would be, you know, 25 years or so, 
uh, adding a city the size of Amsterdam to New York City. Well, where are all those people going to live? I mean, well, one idea is that well, there's a lot of vacant industrial land in New York that could be transformed into housing of one kind or another. But where, when you look at where that land is, what you find is that it's it's low-lying land uh, along the East River, or, you know, in hurricane evacuation zone number one. Um, so you can very quickly, I think, see uh, a, a disaster waiting to happen here. I mean, most New Yorkers probably don't realize this, but after Hurricane Sandy, the Office of Emergency Management in New York came out with a new hurricane evacuation zone map for the city as a whole. In the uh, Prior to Hurricane Sandy, the city had a, a, a hurricane uh, evacuation uh, map for the city, and well, I think it had about three zones, and, and now the, the new map has six hurricane evacuation zones. And uh, the new map actually includes 600,000 more New Yorkers for a total of nearly 3 million New Yorkers who are living in one of the six evacuation zones. If you calculate out the area now of the six evacuation zones, you come up with a figure of about 140 seven square miles, which is nearly half the entire land area of the city of New York. So to put this in uh, a, a more direct terms, New York's emergency managers are saying that nearly half the city of New York is at risk of needing to be evacuated in the event of, of a coastal flood. Now we're going to add, the city is thinking of adding 800,000 people in, in, onto that, uh, in, in addition. Um, you can, I think, very quickly see how the idea of a moratorium or some kind of halt to further growth isn't in the least bit insane, but actually quite sensible. And when you describe this evacuation plan, I mean, I'm chuckling to myself, it's absurd. It, well, it's not just absurd. It's 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 very it's frightening. Uh, in fact, you can go back and read. There was a very severe nor'easter in New York in 1992. After the storm, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers did a transportation study, uh, and that study is very sobering reading. I mean, the Army Corps of Engineers is you know these aren't a bunch of panty wastes exactly. I mean, these are these are you know technocrats who. Um, uh, look at these sorts of things uh, and uh, are you know, willing to, to sort of tolerate a certain amount of risk, I suppose, in uh, building, uh, in, in the kind of building and planning and development that goes on in cities all across the country. But the reality is that that study showed that um, the prospect for disaster was um, you know, much more real uh, than people realized because of uh, the fact that New York is an island environment and it's not easy to evacuate an island environment. I mean, as anyone, including yourself, must know, getting around New York is, is very difficult, even under the best of circumstances. Trying to evacuate people, millions of people from an island environment, uh, it, you could very quickly see how this could... Uh, assume a kind of nightmarish quality. And very quickly, I think, if just a few things go wrong in terms of uh, the mechanics and logistics involved in evacuation. So 
in this sense, again, I don't think the idea of a of retreat or a moratorium is, is at all a, a ridiculous one. So what's next for New York? I mean, are they going to build these massive seawalls to prevent the encroachment of the sea? Or, you know, is your next book going to be Gotham Underwater? Well, that's the, the $64,000 question is what is next for, for, for New York? Um, what I'd like to see next is the moratorium that I've spoken about. That, that's easy to do. Uh, that wouldn't require, uh, I mean, I, obviously some you know, money is at stake in the sense that, that some people wouldn't be able to make as much money as a result of that. But uh, it certainly wouldn't cost uh, the billions of dollars uh, that, uh, say, the Bloomberg administration's plan, is, that, which came out after Hurricane Sandy, was uh, something like a $20 billion plan, $19.5 billion plan, uh, which was uh, actually... Uh, not uh, wedded to these giant hurricane surge barriers that you mentioned. The Bloomberg administration found that the barriers, these giant barriers, which have been proposed for New York, by the way, uh, beginning uh, in in the 60s, um, these these idea the idea of building a giant barrier, say across the you know, Lower New York Bay or Frog's Neck or wherever, um, they rejected that idea as impractical. Um, and uh, and said that you know could never protect one of these barrier plants could protect all of of New York and of course they're correct that's that that's true so what they decided in, instead was to take a kind of avant-garde approach uh, to protecting the city building much smaller barriers flood walls uh, bulkheads uh, and complementing that with uh, oyster reefs and wetlands and something like over 200 and 250 different initiatives to essentially surround New York uh, like a fort. And, uh, you know, it, the, the problem with, with this idea is that uh, it is uh, untested in the sense that no one knows if it will work. The, the hurricane barriers actually, I mean, thus far at least, whatever their problems uh, have worked uh, to uh, uh, ensure the safety of cities like uh, London and Rotterdam, um, uh, which have a uh, level of defense, uh, you know, what like a thousand times what New York's is in terms of uh, def- that is defense uh, against coastal flooding. So the barriers they work, they have problems. Uh, there's there's no question about about that in the sense that um, uh, you know, the barriers could eventually be, be overtopped and the destruction could even be worse. But the reality is, is that thus far they, 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 have, indeed, uh, they have indeed worked in uh, these, some large European cities and also some smaller U.S. cities. So uh, you know, what New York will do next, uh, it's just a burning question. I mean, there's a, there are all kinds of plans, uh, including a, a giant uh, you know, U-shaped, a uh, more gently uh, uh, constructed kind of uh, berm uh, that would be placed around lower Manhattan. I think the important thing to, um, to in, in going forward with respect to uh, uh, the issue of what's next is, is this. I mean, uh, uh, the, uh, the idea that, uh, well, let me put it this way, the, uh, the reality of political, these political jurisdictions New York City, five boroughs, uh, um, 
is problematic in the sense that the problem here is a regional problem. Uh, it's a pro- the, the problem with coastal flooding is a problem for greater New York. It doesn't really make sense, in other words, for, for New York City to be thinking, well, what, what should we do to protect the city if they're going to be doing something that potentially could, in fact, impact uh, New Jersey or Connecticut in a way that's, that's, that's negative? Um, some sort of regional planning process needs to go on here, and, and this can be done. Uh, uh, I mean, New York is, uh, in some sense, a pioneer in, in regional planning. The regional plans that began in the early part of the uh, uh, the, the, the 20th century are um, or a model for this kind of regional thinking that I'm talking about. The, the, the emergence of the Port Authority uh, also is a, is a regional authority. Uh, there has to be some sort of regional approach to the issue of, of coastal flooding. So whatever comes next, and I don't know what that will be, it's got to be a regional approach and not a provincial uh, one that uh, just takes into account the interests of the five boroughs alone. The idea that these massive infrastructure projects can be undertaken. I wonder um, who is going to pay for this. Is it going to be the federal government? Or, I mean, let, why not Wall Street pay for it? That's not likely to, to, to happen. I mean, and, um, either the, the, the big barrier plants, which go back to the, to the 60s or so, I mean, I think in part they were they seemed more feasible back in the 60s because this was during the economically speaking this was the post-war boom that was going on this was the golden age of capitalism when the economy was growing uh, uh, and uh, I think the the money uh, uh, issue at least was less of an issue uh, back then, but it still uh, was in part. Um, uh, let, let's put it this way: by the by the time that the uh, the plans for these large barrier uh, ideas, uh, either at uh, Throgneck or at uh, the uh, entrance to Lower New York Bay, were being put forward, the uh, post-war boom was kind of petering out. So, um, and that was one of the reasons, at least, why uh, the, the barrier plants were, were not put in place. Um, so the question of how this is going to be paid for uh, in a um, political context now, uh, which seems to have very little faith uh, in uh, the state and in the role of uh, government, uh, in improving people's lives and in underwriting uh, people's safety, um, uh, I, I think that's going to be, be difficult. I mean, there, there are those that argue, uh, including one engineer that I can think of in, in particular, who, who just uh, think that, that New York is planning to be flooded. That, that's more, and I have to say, there, there, there's something to this. I mean, um, these, any of these projects, whether it's a, a major structure um, in terms of like a hurricane surge barrier, which is not likely, or one of this U-shaped thing that there's some of a uh, design firm has uh, put forward for uh, protecting Lower Manhattan. I mean, these are these are not simple projects. Uh, they're projects that are going to have to uh, that. that for them to become reality would take a long, long period of time. Uh, and um, 
it's a little difficult to uh, to, to be all that optimistic about what the what the future holds here, given that. So I, I don't think it's likely that uh, Wall Street is going to be feel compelled to. Uh, to foot the bill for for some for something like this, isn't part of this problem that um, you know people who are climate scientists who are predicting sea level rises and these types of things, they're basing a lot of this on models, and you know there's certainly uncertainty in these models, and uh, people have an ambiguity about trying to predict the future based on some of these computer models and climate models and these types of things. It all feels sort of esoteric and abstract to them um, when what they really know is growth and development. I think you're right. I mean, people people don't understand science all that well. Most people don't. I mean, it's a probabilistic uh, enterprise. Uh, so when I say that um, uh, sea level around New York by the 2050s is likely to rise 11 to 24 inches, I'm talking about probabilities here. I mean, these, these are models and uh, you know what the models suggest is that that's most likely that that that's the most likely scenario. Um, the the least likely scenario in terms of sea level rise is you know 31 inches. So um, I think there there is something to what you say. I mean, a, a kind of misunderstanding about about what science is about. Um, but on the other hand, um, in Europe, I mean, the notion of uh, a kind of precautionary principle uh, has has operated quite well. I mean, the sense that you know this idea that well, look, I mean, we—you're right. There's there there is there there's a certain amount of uncertainty to all these uh, all these models. But if 90% of the models show that sea level rise by the 2050s will be at least seven inches. Seven inches is not inconsequential in a place like New York, um, you know, especially in a place like Manhattan with a seawall that averages whatever it is, a few few feet. Uh, another seven inches is, is, is a significant amount of water to accommodate. If we know that 90% of the models are showing that there's going to be seven inches of, of rise in sea level, well, shouldn't we take some precautions here? Like I've just described, for example, some sort of uh, moratorium on any more building uh, in the riskiest evacuation zone, given given the, the the probability that there's almost certainly going to be a seven, uh, you know, over a half a foot rise in, in sea level in the next uh, what would it be thirty five years? Well, the idea of a moratorium is is a good one. Um, it does feel a little bit like a, a band aid on a bullet wound. I mean, it's not really going to solve this problem. No, it's not going to solve the problem. And short of uh, picking up New York City and moving it to Westchester, I don't, I don't really think you can uh, solve it, in, in, at least in, in any kind of definitive kind of way. But um, so no, I mean, you, you're, you're, you, I, I, I suppose I have to agree. I mean, it's not going to, it's not going to, uh, it, it's not a magic bullet, but it doesn't seem to make sense to me to continue to. Uh, uh, Well, Ted Steinberg, um, thank you so much for your research. Thank you for um, sounding the alarm on this. You and many others are doing so, and hopefully, um, you know, wise minds will prevail on this. Uh, It doesn't seem very optimistic. 
that may be, but uh, uh, I'm still hopeful that reason uh, and sound thinking will gain the upper hand. That concludes my interview with Dr. Ted Steinberg, who is the author of the book Gotham Unbound, The Ecological History of Greater New York. And I have to say that I do not share the same optimism that Dr. Steinberg has, that reason and sound thinking will gain the upper hand in this situation or many of the other situations that we face in this day and age. I see really very little evidence to suggest that reason and sound thinking have the upper hand in most of our endeavors these days, and that I speak on a personal level in many of the things that I see people doing and the way people behave uh, just in their day-to-day lives, but also in a larger social and political context. Um, Reason and sound thinking seem to be in shorter and shorter supply, I'm sorry to say. That said, I don't know the future, nor does Dr. Ted Steinberg, so I would certainly hope that reason and sound thinking do gain the upper hand, and I am thankful that people like Dr. Steinberg are, as I said in the interview, sounding the alarm on this and raising people's awareness. Hopefully your awareness was raised as a result of listening to this interview, and hopefully you enjoy the Agro Innovations podcast. This and all episodes of the podcast are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license. To learn more about that, you can visit creativecommons.org. I am your host, Frank Aragona, and this is the Agro Innovations Podcast. Until next time, saludos. <music>